0: You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, I am uh, delighted that you decided to show up for this particular podcast of Sex, Love, and Addiction 101, Uh, and I uh, chose this week to talk to a colleague of mine by the name of Tara LeMasters. Tara is a licensed therapist. She's a CSAT. She has a practice, Um, and uh, the reason I wanted to talk to Tara and bring her on for you is because she really works a lot with uh, the issue of narcissism in her clients, especially in sex addicts, but in all of her clients. And narcissism is something that shows up. um, I know I've got it deep and long. Most of the male clients and female clients I work with have it. Narcissism is something that is almost correlated with addiction. Um, Many times people have problems with how they see themselves, and they also have problems with drugs and alcohol or sex. So I have brought Tara on to help talk about this and how she deals with it in her patients. Welcome, Tara. Thank you, Rob.
1: I'm honored to be here.
0: Hey, it's a gift. Um, so you brought up this topic. You said, hey, this is something I think I'd like to talk about here. What What motivated you in terms of the work that you see to say, I think this is something that that is worth a, a podcast. We should talk about this.
1: Well, it seems to me that, especially over the past five years, that this term narcissism has really become um, embraced in Every relationship situation, you know, in our culture, if you go to Pinterest, look up anything online, there's many, many uh, posts on YouTube about what narcissism is and narcissism, you know, impacting um, my relationship. I'm married Mm -hmm. to a narcissist. I was married to a narcissist. Am I a narcissist? I'm dating Mm. a
0: narcissist. You know, just... and, and wait, Tara, I have a question. So what do you think, why do you think people jump to this? I, well, I think we all want a label. We all want to be able to say, Oh, well, that's me. Or that's this. Per-. I mean, why do people want to jump to this conclusion?
1: Well, I think that there's a lot of misunderstandings, I believe about uh, mm-hmm. what a narcissism is, what constitutes uh narcissistic behaviors and what constitutes you know, a diagnosis of narcissism. And also there needs to be, I think, a greater uh, understanding of that and also realization that, okay, if I am a narcissist, then what does that mean? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and if I'm married to a narcissist and involved in a relationship with a narcissist, you know, if I feel that, you know, I've been, uh, abused by this person or their uh, actions have and behaviors have impacted me. Mm-hmm. And it's also about then, you know, how, how do I take care of myself around it versus over pathologizing and looking at the individual that quote unquote so, is narcissists.
0: So why don't we break it down a little bit, right? We have the word, there's a Greek, there's Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. about this beautiful, beautiful God who was told he would do really well as long as he never looked at himself. (laughs) And when he did, he got in lots of trouble because he fell in love with his own image. And that's where the sort of word comes from, um, with this guy named Narcissus. And it certainly plays out in our culture because narcissism in a way, reflects on the idea that, you know, I need something bigger, uh, I need something more important. It reflects me. If I have a nicer car, then I'm more important. If I have a bigger house, then I'm more special. Narcissism kind of implies that my externals, what you see of me and how I sell myself to you, if you will, is going to help determine what you think of me. And our culture certainly, our culture certainly reinforces that, right?
1: You could say that we're living in a cultural era of narcissism if you will, because of, you know, social media and, you know, everyone, you know, posting everything that I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm eating, you know, what I'm purchasing, it perpetuates all of that. So, you know, we you could all say that, you could say that all of us to varying degrees have bought into it.
0: Well, let's back up and agree that there's nothing wrong with narcissism in and of itself, that we all are narcissistic, that having a healthy sense of self-esteem and a willingness to take chances once in a while when they're healthy chances, like in business, the willingness to stand out when you might be embarrassed or it might be uncomfortable. Those are Mm -hmm. all exhibitions of exhibitions of narcissism that are healthy. And so to have to be slightly narcissistic in a culture that is fairly narcissistic is not a bad thing. I think what you and I are here to talk about is when the traits of sort of self-obsession and putting myself first and lacking the empathy for how my behavior affects others, when narcissism begins to flip into using people, taking advantage of people, mm-hmm. not considering their feelings, putting yourself first at the cost of other people, I think that's when narcissism starts to slip into something much darker. Um, so an addict by definition is a narcissist because you know, even the guy who loves his kids and loves his family is gonna steal from the kid's college fund to take money to buy drugs if he's a drug addict. That's because the drug has become more important to him than his kids and right. that's very narcissistic. So every yes. addict is narcissistic in a sense when they're actively engaged in their addiction. How do you see that show up in sex addicts
1: with the sex addicts that I see is that it is an abandonment, if you will, of many of their core values and beliefs at the expense of, you know, compartmentalizing. And, you know, I want what I want when I want it. (laughs) As you and I both know, sex addicts in particular tend to be highly compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. So the narcissistic choice uh, that or choices that they tend to make in their acting out behaviors, whatever their acting out behaviors might be, is that they are not thinking about how it's going to impact others.
0: So it here's has- a good question for you. You're right. I mean, the the way that addiction shows up in narcissistically is that... The, the addict puts, if I'm a sex addict, I put the seeking of sex with other people, the seeking of porn, the seeking of affairs, whatever that is. I put that over and make that more important than my other relationships and my other priorities, family, life, spouse, whatever. And I work really hard to hide it so that I can kind of have my cake and and eat it too. So in a sense, I mean, what we're saying, and I think this is what I really, I want, couples and individuals to hear is that first of all, narcissism is not a bad thing. It is healthy. It's a kind of an expression of self-esteem and we all have different degrees of narcissism. Um, and that allows us to stand on a stage and give a lecture or it allows us to teach or it allows us to put ourselves out there in a whole, var- or, or sometimes for some people, it just allows us to leave the house, feeling good enough yeah. about myself to be in the world and healthy narcissism is a good thing. So the word itself is not a bad word. Mm -hmm. The problem is, as you said, when people put other things above those they love or care about and they become involved in that affair or that sexual interaction that they find themselves um, more attached to than the people they care about. Mm -hmm. And then the people they care about start feeling like they don't matter because, in fact, in those moments, they don't in those moments that the addict is choosing the addiction. In that that is a narcissistic moment. I'm not caring about my family or friends. I'm choosing to do this over everything. everything. Mm-hmm. But the question that I think you and I could talk about here is when somebody's working on this, you know, uh, they're going to twelve step meetings. they are they have a therapist. They are um looking at themselves and beginning to be more honest and more vulnerable and more real. Do you feel, or do you see that narcissism is negotiable, like that it can lessen, that it, that they can begin to think of their other person as the same time as they think of themselves? Or do you feel like more, you know, once a narcissist, always a narcissist kind of thing?
1: Well, I believe that, you know, the process of recovery, and if an addict truly embraces recovery, is that the process of healing mm-hmm. is process of creating greater empathy for oneself and most particularly to the others that are closest to, to quote unquote, me, mm-hmm. my actions and behaviors and addictions have impacted. So and I'm hoping,
0: when, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Um, when, you know, I'm working with a addict or a sexual compulsive client that starts to move into recovery when they start to experience grief around how their choices, actions, and behaviors have impacted those that they love, those closest to them, Mm -hmm. that can be this fracture, this crack, where some empathy, the light of empathy, if you will, starts to come in. Mm
0: -hmm. It's interesting that you talk about that, Tara, because I think about... You know, I've worked with narcissistic men who, uh, when confronted with, um, you know, what they've done, how they've harmed their family, how they've hurt their kids by not being available or having their kids find out something online that they were looking at or whatever it is. I've seen men uh, go into what I would call narcissistic self-obsession and they cry and they'll say, and this is sort of in the beginning, and they'll say things like, oh, you know, I never meant to be this kind of father or I never wanted to have my husband or wife look at me in this way, or I never wanted to be in a marriage where, or a relationship where I was doubted all the time, and I can't believe I did that. And they're crying about that, and I don't know about you, but when they start to do that, I actually stop them. And I say, what are you being sad about? And they'll say, oh, well, how I'm being looked at, my relationship with my family, how they actually love me. I, but who's that about? <laughs> and, you know, because real empathy, real empathy looks like and sounds like I can't imagine what my wife or husband is going through. They must be in so much pain or what is it like for my kids seeing their parents fight all the time now, or real empathy is not about you at all. Real empathy is understanding what others might be going through as a result of how you've treated them. And so the early stages of healing may look like poor me, I've created this situation and now no one's going to love me the way they used to. (laughs) And then, um, at a later stage, if someone hopefully is able to get there, we get them to truly be sad for the harm they've caused
1: mm-hmm. in
0: the eyes of the people that are hurting. And that is empathy. So it's a process, right, Tara? We, they don't get there on day one.
1: No, it, it, and it is a process.
0: And how quickly in your experience, Tara, do partners and spouses want the person that they're involved with to, I'm going to put this in air quotes, get over their narcissism? how how much patience do you think partners have for that
1: um in the beginning very little mhm
0: how, how do you mean and and how, how does that show, i have some ideas about what i hear from partners about that but how do you see that that they have no empathy that they are so hurt and angry that they're they're not really uh, they're not really hopeful for seeing any change nor are they really well anyway how do you see partners maybe hoping for things that aren't going to happen in the timeline that they would like them to happen.
1: Well, I believe that, you know, many partners are so very traumatized
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and they, by betrayal, by the betrayal. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, they want the addict to be fixed or have all the realizations that you know they need for them to have, right. so they realize how very much that they have hurt them, betrayed them, right? You know, destroyed what they thought their reality
0: was. Mm-hmm. And this is the hard part, right? Because we know that this is going to take a while, and yet, you know, I, I completely understand how a spouse has been cheated on, lied to, manipulated, and Been have secrets kept from them, how they could say, Okay, now I know what you've been doing. Now I know everything. Now you need to treat me right. And there's an assumption that the person who has been cheating or acting out sexually actually knows how to treat their partner right. And that's the part I think that's hard for partners to get is that when we're working with someone who has a lot of narcissism or someone who's active in addiction, that we can stop the addiction, we can get them to be more honest. And we can get them to be more understanding, right. but that th- they're not going to jump to right away, you know, I'm going to be the perfect husband or wife for you. Cause I know I've hurt you. And now you deserve me to be perfect because they don't know how to be perfect and they're broken and partners mm-hmm. often want, you know, that perfect spouse. Now that you've cheated on me, now I deserve the perfect spouse. And unfortunately he or she may be a year or so away from, you know, being able to be the person you want them to be. Um, is that kind of what you're experiencing?
1: Yes, I very much experience that.
0: How do you help partners deal with that?
1: What I um, attempt to do with partners that I treat is to have them begin to focus, you know, on them on themselves mm. and, you know, their uh, self-care and setting boundaries and focus more on that aspect of it. From the beginning and less on the aspect of trying to fix the attic.
0: Well, it's kind of like, I love you. I'm in a relationship with you. You hurt me. Now you need to fix yourself and make everything right because I want to get my needs met by you. And I want us to be close again. The right. problem is, is that takes time. And so where does a partner go to get his or her needs met when they don't trust the primary person that they've been in a relationship with? And you're right. The answer is they need support. You know, um, there's nothing like a betrayed spouses group for a bunch of spouses who've been betrayed to realize they're not alone. Other people get cheated on other people, you know, and that it's not about them and, you know, that it's fixable. So Mm -hmm. I agree with you that, you know, part of the challenge in working with someone who's been wounded is getting them to turn not to the person who hurt them to try to make it all better, but to turn to other people as well and say, wow, you were hurt like me. How can we support each other? How
1: can we support each other?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing we do with the addicts, right? We also put them in groups. And we ask them to figure out how to get better with our support as a group, not individually. And that seems to also be helpful for them. You know, I I, I don't know about you, but one of the biggest challenges I have working with addicts and sex addicts in particular is it's the addict who gets 90 days, you know, and he or she goes to the meeting and they all say, yeah, you got 90 days. And they give them a chip, you know, and they cheer for them. And then they come to our offices and we have a th- an addicts therapy group and everyone in group wants to see their chip and they got 90 days and good for them. And, you know, no prostitutes, no affairs, boy, you're doing great. And then they go home to their you know, partner or husband or wife of 12 years. And they say, look, honey, I got a 90 day chip. And that spouse sells, says big F and deal, right? Like, right. so for 90 days, you haven't slept with other people, but for the 15 years you were, we were together, you did. And now you want me to cheer for you. And the reality is, is that he or she, the person with the problem, the person standing there with their little teeny chip, they do need someone to cheer for them, but not necessarily the person that they hurt it's going to be you who's going to cheer for them or me who's going to cheer for them or their group is going to cheer for them. And it's their partner's job to be angry and hurt and not Mm -hmm. necessarily say, Oh, well, let me give you a gold star for just showing up for our marriage. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. And it's also um, that's where the addict, if they can be more in a place in their healing timeline of having some empathy that they don't go back to their spouse or their partner and expect
0: that. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love, and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. You know, it's, it's funny you said that because I have counseled couples uh, in the past. Uh, I, I had a guy who wanted to cheat on his wife. And he hadn't. But he had met this woman. He had feelings for this woman. You know, and I said, it's fine if you want to cheat on your wife, but you have to go tell your wife first.
1: Right. And I've done that as well, Rob.
0: And I wa and he did. And he went home and he said, I gotta talk to you and I'm having these feelings for this other woman and blah blah blah. And he watched his wife completely fall apart emotionally. I mean the dog came and sat in her lap. <laughs> like that's how hard it was on her that night. Wow. But in watching her and he hadn't had he he was trying to his job was to get his wife to agree that he could have an affair. Sexual or otherwise. And if it was okay with her, it was okay with me because I knew what was going to happen, which is she was going to completely and utterly feel devastated and show that devastation. And that's mm-hmm. where the empathy comes in. The wow. empathy comes in and seeing, oh my God, look what even the thought of my cheating does to this person. That mm-hmm. makes it a lot harder to cheat. But when you can compartmentalize it and put it in your head and say, well, I'm just going to do this over here and my spouse or partner will never know about it. That is showing no empathy. Correct. You know, you talk about compartmentalization. I think that's what you're talking about.
1: Yes. And that's showing, that would be showing no empathy and operating from that narcissistic state.
0: Um, Just for the sake of it, I want to just put a a more formal definition about narcissism. Um, Narcissism is, uh, narcissistic people tend to lack empathy so mm-hmm. they will put themselves first. They will do what they think is right for themselves first. They will um, do whatever pleases them the most, and they will tend to not think about how that will affect someone else, even especially people close to them. The good news about being a narcissist, and I say this is someone who has a few, who has a little bit of narcissism deep and heavy, is that narcissism is not someone who's a narcissist is not a sociopath, mm-hmm. and there's a difference. So let me there's explain. And psychopathy or sociopathy is different than narcissism. So for those of you who are thinking, oh my God, you know, I married someone who is a a nightmare and, you know, is just going to keep hurting me. Here's the key. Narcissists lack empathy. So we will go out and do something that might let you down, might hurt you, might disappoint you. But if you point it out to us, narcissists tend to have intact remorse. And that is something that Tara and I will work with in therapy to help somebody understand how much they've hurt someone by by encouraging them to feel badly about how they've hurt that other person. And this is the difference between someone who's a sociopath and someone who's a narcissist is that narcissists can gain over time empathy through The fact that they feel remorse, they feel badly about her event. You know, they may not feel badly when they've done something, but they feel really bad when they've gotten caught and we can really work with that. Right. Yeah. But if you're a sociopath and you don't feel, you don't feel empathy and you hurt people, but then you also don't feel badly about hurting people. Well, then you just move on to the next marriage or you just move on to the next family or you just say, well, too bad. You just have to put up with it because you're incapable of feeling badly for your behavior or how it's affected that other person. And that's a difference between someone I'd want to be with and someone I wouldn't. <laughs> so when you work with people who have a lot of narcissism, how do you, I mean, do you tell them, I think you have a few narcissistic traits or how do you handle that?
1: I um, will either just talk to them more about what um, narcissism is and what it isn't. And I'll also talk to them about what they key component that's missing is the empathy. Mm -hmm. And I go in under on that side of it is that, you know, when, if I'm working with an addict, you know, I'll point out like we've been discussing, you know, when you're in the midst of acting out or making the choices or, you know, thinking about, because as you and I both know, a lot of it is about, Less about the actual behavior and also mm-hmm. more about, you know, start to think about it or, you know, I'm entitled to this or I want to do this or whatever. Is that it's like you're moving further and further away from having any empathy. So I will point that out and go in under that. And also, I believe that underneath it all is a lot of fear, a fear of um, I work with a lot of men. Uh, male addicts so there can be this fear of being vulnerable Mm -hmm. you know fear of maybe you know if I show someone my weakness if I keep all these external things going and you know success and material things and all of that you know if that is my facade and my image Mm -hmm. often there's a lot of fear behind
0: it. Well, well, I think Tara, you know, and excuse me for interrupting me, but you know, if, as someone who who I I think I relate to this pretty well, and I can imagine that so many of the people I work with and you work with say, well, I don't know who else to be. Um, I wanted to say something about cheating versus addiction, because I think that it may be worth noting that somebody who cheats once or twice, you know, that's a narcissistic act, right? I mean, if you and I have a commitment to monogamy and I go and cheat, it has to be narcissistic by definition, because I don't have empathy for how that might affect you. In fact, my hope is you never find out. I just went to Vegas. It was just a lap dance with a bunch of friends, and it didn't mean anything to me. And you know, it may not have meant anything to you, but the empathy comes in in a big way in understanding how it might have affected your partner, especially a female partner. And I wrote this book called Out of the Doghouse, and we also just came out with a Christian version, Out of the Doghouse for Christian men, because I don't think that men, you know, men are problem solvers. I really think that if a man I think that most men want to pro- solve the problem that they create when they cheat, or I even agree. if it's gone to the level of addiction, they just don't understand the degree of the problem they've created. They don't understand, you know, most men I work with think that candies and candy and flowers or a month or two will go by and I'll be good. And then that partner is going to be fine. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the reasons I wrote Doghouse. I don't think that men really realize that sexual and romantic betrayal for a woman can mean pain for a year or more. And so the expectation that someone who's been cheating or even acting out sexually has about, okay, I did this, I'm caught, you know, let's make it better. Their expectation of what about the amount of time it's going to take to make it better and what it's going to take to make it better is usually pretty far off from reality. Um, And I'm wondering if you see this as well.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, most men are problem solvers and they wanna fix what they created. They want Mm -hmm. to um, make it better, uh, caretake of it. And then, you know, if I also see that when they start to get into some recovery and the process is slower for the spouse Mm -hmm. or the partner, is there's a lot of, well, why can't she, he just move on? You know, Mm. I'm better, treating them better. You know, uh, things seem a little bit better between us. I don't want to have to suffer, quote unquote, for the rest of my life.
0: Right. I don't want to see this angry face every night. Uh, When am I going to come home and you're going to smile at me because it's been three weeks, (laughs) right? Well, I have to say that, Tara, you've just like stated... Uh, you made a very narcissistic statement, which is, you know, uh, I don't want to be dealing with your anger anymore. And I want this to end. And when, you know, again, why I wrote Doghouse was for men to get this, but it's kind of like, even in that it's narcissistic because there's no empathy. I should want to understand why you are still angry. I should want to understand why two months isn't enough time. I should want to understand what I can do to comfort you and help you help reassure you rather than saying, come on, it's been a few months, aren't you going to get over it? And I think this is part of the challenge that you talked about with couples, um, is this kind of, um, they're being in different places at different times. Um, and, and there's one thing I wanted to say to you about it, and I'd love your feedback, which is um, Pat Carnes talks about this, almost all of us talk about this, the idea that, you know, if you have been cheating or you're a sex addict, you know what you've been doing for a long time. You know where you've been, what you've been up to, blah, blah, blah. It's all been a secret to your partner, but you know. So once it's out... The partner is presented with a whole new reality. Like they have to look at their life differently. They have to look at you differently. They have to look at everything differently. And they didn't know anything about this. Or if they did, it wasn't in any way to the degree that they're hearing about it now. And so oftentimes I find that the sort of narcissistic person who's been cheating feels relieved once it's all over. Like, okay, now she knows or now he knows and now it's off my back. And now we can make it better. And the partner is more reeling with devastation that they're kind of like saying, where's the license plate or that truck that just hit me? So how do you how do you work with the partners to help them understand that it's not hopeless, but their timeline may not be accurate in terms of what they want to see?
1: Well, if I'm working with partners or a couple is that I'm very upfront from the beginning Mm -hmm. is that your timelines are not going to line up with one another on recovery Mm -hmm. and that it's a simplistic uh, metaphor, but often I will use the metaphor of, you know, we're going to rebuild a house here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I practice in Ohio and I practice in coach in Florida. So I will use an Ohio, a tornado in Florida, a <laughs> hurricane.
0: You're picking disasters. We have earthquakes if you're ever in California. <laughs>
1: exactly. So, you know, whatever the disaster in your geographic area, Right. right. As- and cracked the foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, if we fill the crack in a foundation, if we're going to rebuild a house, is that there's a lot of you know suspect in that crack? Might it hold? Might it not? Mm-hmm. So it's really about rebuilding the relationship on a totally new foundation.
0: Mm-hmm. It's funny you uh, say that, Tara, because. So I think part of the initial devastation for so many spouses, um, the first time they hear about cheating or the first time they hear about an affair or even addiction is that they really believed that this partner would keep their commitment of monogamy. I mean, that was what they promised. And this is my best friend. This is the person who has my back. This is the person who's going to be there for me. I would expect that if they're going to break a commitment they made to me, maybe they'd let me know. And unfortunately, these partners are finding out that, the person they most relied on, the person they most thought would have their back, the person they thought would never deliberately go out and do something that would hurt them, has actually been doing that for some time. And the devastation of that is a long-term loss. And, you know, I, I, I often quote Beyonce a saying in a video that, uh, and I'm not going to quote her right, but uh, betrayal in a relationship is like a, a plate. You know, she says it's, you know, when you have mistrust or betrayal, it's like a broken plate. And you can glue that plate back together and it will still be useful, but the crack will always show. And I think you're absolutely right in saying that these folks aren't going to go back into the old house they lived in. You know, that's gone. The belief that you would never hurt me in this way, that you could never do this, that you would always be the person, you know, that's gone. The idea that I could get away with this and it won't hurt you and I can just do what I want and it won't be a problem for you, that's gone. And so we have to start all over with who are we together? What do we mean to each other? What do we have to hold on to and what do we need to grow? And uh, so you're right, the work we're doing in these situations is like starting all over again. Hey, Tara LeMasters, I am delighted to talk to you and we're going to do more of this, I hope. Can you tell people who are listening a little bit about how to reach you, how to find you, how to contact you if they want to ask questions or they're in one of the states where you practice, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Um, Sure, Rob. I have a website. It's TaraLeMasters.com and my name is T-A-R-A-L-E-M-A-S-T-E-R-S.com. And there's information there on how uh, clients can get in touch with me. Like I said, I practice in Ohio and in Florida. And I also have coaching practice where I coach clients, um, you know, all over the United States. And I've had clients from various parts of the world as well. And also, uh, I I have a background in uh, organizational and business psychology. Mm -hmm. With many of the clients that I work with, um, you know, My background in that uh, is also helpful uh, to them in setting their goals and moving forward in their recovery and in their lives.
0: Well, in a world of Me Too and Me Too conversations and Me Too in the workplace, I would imagine your organizational psychology experience is very helpful and uh, very Very much needed.
1: And also, Rob, I do um, intensives for couples and Hmm. customized intensives. And also, um, conscious uncoupling for couples that, um, their relationships for whatever reason they've decided to end it. So I've not been to doing go forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you're a <laughs> gift to the field and to the community. And, um, and I love, and I have to just say one thing before we go, am I guessing right that you practice in Florida in the winter and practice in Ohio in the summer? Just a guess. Yeah, just a guess. Okay, good. Then I admire you and envy you for that. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Tara, and you know how to reach her. And, um, you know, any questions you have for us, you can always write us at sexandrelationshiphealing.com. I look forward to the next opportunity to bring you more information. Thanks for being here. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On seekingintegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at rob at seekingintegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.